We are in a teaching series looking at the greatest redemptive event in the history of God's people, Israel, before Jesus, called the Exodus. We've been in this journey together for the past few months, and starting last week, we were swept up into this story about the event that this book of the Bible is named after, the Exodus. We were swept up into the beauty and wonder of the Exodus as God began to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And today, this story is gonna reach its climax in our text with God's people being rescued from Egypt into a life with God at the Red Sea. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. We're gonna pick up this story of the Red Sea in verse 17 where it says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they, the people of God, moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. So if we look at the Exodus event as a story in three chapters, we are at the beginning of the middle chapter and arguably the most important chapter in the Exodus event. God's people have left Egypt behind and they are on their way to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is where the rescue is going to happen. It's where God is gonna finally and fully free his people from the grip of Egypt and a life of slavery. That's where the, the story is headed. As they leave Egypt, as they walk, go through the wilderness, God's people are being led towards the Red Sea. But before the rescue is the wilderness. And that's where we find God's people in chapter 13. Egypt's king has let them go and they are being led through the desert by God to a destination that he has in mind for them. And again, all the language in this text, all the imagery, all the wording points to this being a victory text. God's people are not just leaving Egypt, they are leaving as victors. They are envisioned in the text, both here and last week, as a victorious army whose God has fought for them and won a fight in Egypt. They are slaves no more in the wilderness. And the life God is leading them to is coming closer with every single step they take. But before that great future arrives in the present for Israel, we see them on a journey with God. And this journey has a destination and it isn't taken alone. As we've already said, the destination is the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is in what is now called the Middle East. It's this large kind of narrow body of water that's pretty big and pretty deep that separates Egypt from the Sinai Peninsula. And the Sinai Peninsula is the home of the Promised Land. It's the place where God is ultimately leading his people to live and to enjoy a land of fruitfulness and provision. This is gonna be Israel's new home. And to get there, they're gonna actually have to go across this Red Sea. So the Red Sea is the destination. It's the place that God is taking his people and it's the place where God is gonna orchestrate his great rescue. But to get there, it's going to take a journey. 
And, and, and Israel is not taking this journey alone. They're actually taking it with God himself. We see in this text, God is with them in a pillar of cloud and fire. He's there with them. He's leading them. He's guiding them. He's watching over them. He's protecting them. He's not a detached observer on this journey. We saw last week as he personally oversees the exodus out of Egypt, and here he is personally with his people in a way that they can see. He's visible. He's present with them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so the picture is of this, this, this tall column that is either fire if it's night or cloud by day. And this is not some cool parlor trick. It's not some weather phenomena. It's a sign of God's presence. It's a visible reminder. It's God saying to his people, I'm here. I'm with you. And for people who are leaving the only life they've ever known behind, this is a great comfort. To be able to look up, to be able to see their God with them. So Israel, they are not alone on this journey. They are not taking this journey on their own. The God of the burning bush, the God of the plagues, the God of the exodus, he goes with his people. By day and by night, he's there. He never leaves his people's side. He's always there to show them the way and watch over them. This God is an ever-present reality with his people. And we see this during the Exodus story, but it's also in the greater Exodus in Jesus. We see it as well on the other side. If you go to a place called the Gospel of Matthew, it's one of the stories of, about Jesus, about his life, death, and resurrection. In the very last line, in the very last thing that Jesus says to his followers, he says these words. He makes a promise, and it's a good one. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was the promise that was left ringing in Jesus' disciples' ears when he went back to heaven to be with the Father. It was the one thing that he wanted his followers to have left ringing in their ears as he left them physically. I will be with you always. And what this means is that as we journey through life, we are never truly alone when Jesus is in our life. There's not a breath we take or a moment that we face where Jesus isn't with us through his empowering presence called the Holy Spirit. He's committed himself to you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's always going to be at your side. And the hope that the people of God in Exodus and the people of God today have is that the God of the Exodus, the God of the cross, the God of the empty tomb is an ever-present reality in your life. From the moment you put your trust in him, he will always be there. He'll never leave your side. And for God's people in the wilderness and for us in the situations of our lives, this can make all the difference because when you know that you're not alone and that someone is with you, it can be a great help, a, a, a strengthening, a, a, a give you courage. But it's an even greater comfort when that's, that person who is with you is God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the Exodus, the God of great power, and the God who loves you and is willing to fight for you. It is an even greater comfort when we know that he is with us always when we are in the wilderness and in all the situations of our lives. And I want to remind us of this because it's so easy to forget that God is with us. And by forgetting, it's so easy to get stuck and to become hesitant and even paralyzed and immobilized as God asks us to move into the unknown places, the places that he's leading us, the places that we don't know how it's going to turn out. We can get stuck when we forget that God is with us. And, and let's be honest, the unknown is unnerving, isn't it? 
It can be scary and uncomfortable. I know the times where God has said, I want you to go here, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. It is scary. It's uncomfortable. It stretches me. Just like it would have stretched Israel as they are being led out of Egypt through the wilderness into a, an unknown life. And when we forget that God is with us, it can make it, make it so much harder to step into what he is leading us to. But we can take heart that because our God is with us and he has promised to always be with us, that we can step into the unknown because we know that he is going to be there. Just like he's with Israel. Just like he's there as they step into the unknown as they follow him out of Egypt. And so back then and today, this God goes with his people and he's always there for them. He hasn't promised you or I rescue from our specific situation, but he has promised us to be in every situation with us. That's his promise. And that becomes even more important when God's people arrive on the shores of the Red Sea and they find themselves in a dangerous situation with no way out. And as chapter 14 begins, we, get, we begin to see just how bad the situation is unfold. In verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he, Pharaoh, made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Hihiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It's not that this, what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So just when we thought we were done with Egypt and its king, we find out that we're not. Yes, the enemy of God's people has suffered a defeat in Egypt. Yes, God has won a victory over Egypt's king, but Pharaoh isn't finished. He's still got some fight left in him. He changes his mind. He forms an army of his best warriors and he pursues them in the wilderness and actually overtakes them as Israel is camped by the sea. And this brings us face to face with a new reality in this, this, this amazing Exodus event is that we don't just need saving from Egypt, we also need saving outside of Egypt too. In other words, God's rescue in our lives is an ongoing thing. It's both an event and it's an ongoing process. 
And Israel is experiencing this firsthand for themselves as Pharaoh and his army bears down on them. They've been rescued from Egypt, but now they're going to be needing rescue once again. Sure, God's done a mighty thing and he's brought them out of Egypt, but again, God's people have been brought to this location, to the shores of the Red Sea, and guess what? They are trapped. The sea is before them, Egypt's army is behind them, the desert surrounds them, and they need a way out. This is what God's rescue assumes. It assumes that you and I, we need saving from something. It assumes that there is something that has happened or is happening that's going to make rescue required. And at the Red Sea, God's people, they need saving from Egypt. That is the situation they are in, which is a picture of our greatest need, which is to be saved from what the Bible calls sin, that power that separates us from God, that turns our hearts inward and away from God, the power that has broken and fractured the good order of creation that God instilled when he created the world. This power is what we need saving from. And the Bible teaches us that sin lies at the heart of the human problem. It lies at the heart of the problems in creation that we see and it needs fixing. It's something that we need rescuing from. It's something the world needs rescuing from. And so all of creation, the Bible says, is groaning in anticipation of that rescue. And the situation at the Red Sea, well, it requires rescue too. And the people of God, they cry out. They see the Egyptian army bearing down on them and they get afraid. Moses, you brought us out here to die. Why did we ever listen to you in Egypt? Didn't we say to you there, leave us alone? But you didn't. We should have just stayed in Egypt, Moses, and continued to work for our slave masters. Life would have been better then. See, on one hand, I totally get this response. If I put myself on the shores of the Red Sea among the Israelites, I would be scared too. If I looked back and I saw Egypt's army bearing down on me, I'd be scared too. But if you notice, this is a big and sudden shift from earlier when God's people are described as leaving Egypt defiantly. That means that they left Egypt with this spirit of triumph, with strength, with confidence, but here that is completely gone. One look at the onrushing Egyptian army and they forget the God of great power who has fought for them in Egypt. They forget the God who is with them, the God who is watching over them. All the defiance disappears and they end up in a place where they're like, I wish I could just go back to the way it was. This is a theme that is going to keep showing up from here on out in the Exodus story is that God's people are quick to forget and they're always ready to grumble. So not much has changed actually with God's people. It's still a present reality in the life of God's people. But what God's people need to learn, and what we need to learn too, is to see all of life through the God who is with us and for us. That is one of the aspects at play here, is learning to know and to see all of life through the lens of who this God is. That's the journey that Israel is on. And at this point, they're still getting to know God. They're still learning about this God who showed up and rescued them and is leading them into this dangerous situation. They're trying to figure out who he is and what he's like, and that's going to take time. But here, in this story, God is going to actually help them know who he is in a deeper way. And he's going to do that in two different ways. He's going to speak and he's going to act. First, he speaks. In verse 4 
and verse 18, we see God say the same thing in two different ways. In verse 4, he says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And then in verse 18, he says the same thing. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh. And whenever we see repeated words or phrases in the Bible, it's meant to get us to sit up and to take notice and to listen closely. And here, God makes the same statement twice, which means he is wanting us to know that there is something that he is going to do in this moment that's going to help Israel and us know who he is in a deeper and more profound way. And when God says this, here's what he's saying. He's like, I am going to win a decisive victory over Pharaoh, and there will be no doubt in anyone's mind who the one true God is. Watch and see, because I'm going to put my glory on display. You're going to see the weight of my character and my beauty and the wonder of who I am with your very own eyes, and you will know that I am the Lord. In other words, what What's happening here is one way that God reveals his glory and makes himself known to his people is through the things that he does. His glory and knowing him is actually attached to his activity. So when God speaks here and what he's saying is, I'm going to put my glory on display for the purpose of people knowing that I am God. I'm going to do something that's going to show you and the Egyptians who I am. And the beautiful thing is that the way that God is going to do that is through salvation. We see this in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. This is the first time that the word salvation shows up in the Bible. It's been hinted at, it's been foreshadowed, talked about, but here it comes to the forefront for the very first time. And in that, two things are actually happening, is that there is a weight here that is attached to this word being used for the very first time. And that is important in how we view and think about what salvation is. And the second thing is that we see that this passage is ultimately about salvation. It is ultimately about what God does to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. And so what God does at the Red Sea is meant to shape how we think and understand God's saving work from this time forward. It carries weight and will be the defining expression of salvation for God's people until Jesus shows up and does what he did at the cross and at the empty tomb. But here, the key thing is that salvation, the very word salvation actually means in the Hebrew, a rescue from distress or danger or physical harm. It means salvation is being delivered from that, from distress, from danger, from physical harm. And here, it's a deliverance from the Egyptian army and the danger that they pose. And this looks ahead again to the danger of living under the power of sin, Satan, and death, and and the rescue of Jesus from that and our faith in him. And so whether it's at the Red Sea or at the cross, salvation, from the very first time it is used in the Bible, is being saved from something. And there's no guesswork here about who actually does this. See, Moses, he makes it plain. God is going to do this. He is the one who will save you. All you have to do is stand still and be silent and watch. And this is the picture that starts to get formed of God's saving acts, is that salvation is from something and salvation belongs fully to God. It's all about him and it's all about his 
work and on the shores of the Red Sea, God's people are in danger. They are afraid, they are trapped with no way out, or so they think. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And so picture this, God's people are trapped. They have no way out that they can see. And God's solution is, I'm going to split the sea and make a way for you to walk through it. This is how you're going to escape danger, Israel. This is how you're going to arrive at freedom on the other side of the sea. I am going to split the sea. This is what God is going to do. Sure, he's going to do it through Moses as Moses lifts his hands and uses the staff. But make no mistake, God is the one who's going to make this happen. He's going to split the sea and he will bring salvation to his people. And that's what we see happen next. Verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And so I want you to picture this moment with me and put yourself on the shores of the Red Sea. Feel this moment. Maybe even close your eyes and picture this for yourself because this is a great moment of rescue. Put yourself on the shore. Smell the salt in the air. Feel the wind against your face. It starts out as a breeze, but it slowly gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Hear the water stir and move. See it rise slowly to become a wall. Hear the roar of the wind and the waves. Hear the gasp of the people beside you as they see the power of God at work. Look ahead of you and see the path that God has made through the sea. The end is not here. God has made a way out of danger and the question is will you take it will you step off the shore onto the dry seabed because that's where your salvation is that's where your rescue from danger lies now is not the time to stay put now is the time 
to move. Now is not the time to hesitate. Now is the time to step into God's salvation. Now picture yourself walking through the water. See the walls of water on your right and on your left. Now step back out of the seabed onto dry land once again. You're home. You're free. The enemy is in the water. They are defeated. Now breathe the fresh air of freedom. God has done it. He has rescued his people. Salvation has come in the sea. This is the story that we are living in. This is the story of Exodus. And here the end result in verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Rescue has been accomplished. God has done what he has set out to do. He has saved his people from danger at the Red Sea. And the result is that faith is formed. Israel sees the great power of God. They experience his rescue and they are in awe of him. They are blown away by this God and they believe in him. Faith has risen at the Red Sea because of what God has done. This is the moment that marks a beginning and an end to Israel's experience of Egypt. The Red Sea ends Israel's slavery. Freedom from Egypt is fully here. And so there is an ending at the Red Sea, but it's also a beginning because the Red Sea is a beginning of Israel's life with God. From here on out, they are his people and he is their God. And it's all about a life with him in this new beginning that they have been brought into. And what I want us to see is that this new life with God starts with salvation. It starts with being saved from danger. But this life also continues with salvation. It's an ongoing thing. See, salvation, the salvation of God that we've seen in this story is both a gateway into a life with God and it's a way of knowing God. And so when we get our eyes on God and what he's done, it can bring us to faith and it can bring us to a deeper knowing of the God of the Exodus, which is why the Exodus story is a paradigm for God, God's saving acts throughout the rest of the story of the Bible, which culminates in the arrival of Jesus and what he does. And he fulfills that with the greater Exodus. But here, what we see is that in salvation, God brings us from something into a life with someone and that we need saving from Egypt and we need continual saving outside of Egypt too. See, the moment we see salvation as nothing more than being saved from something and not being saved to something, we're in danger of what's called spiritual consumerism, which treats spirituality as a transaction instead of a transformative journey with God. It's the thing that goes, I trust in Jesus. God has gives me my, my salvation and I am good. I've got my ticket to heaven. I am okay now. It's that kind of transaction style thinking when we do this, we are in danger of treating Jesus and his salvation like a, like a product. Or as author David Wells writes, when we do this, we are reducing Christ simply to a product we buy to satisfy our needs. So we might not be doing this knowingly, but if you fail to see salvation as a, pro more, as a process that begins with the event of salvation and goes on until death, if we don't see salvation as an entrance into a whole new family and a whole new way of life as being a, a healing of the soul and not just a legal transaction, we are in danger of treating Jesus like a product and his salvation as something we purchase. 
And we are missing what this text is telling us is that salvation is from something, yes, but it's also a past, present, and future reality. It starts with being saved from something, the power of sin, Satan, and death, but it also continues so that salvation that has begun with a moment of faith in Jesus will continue to be worked out until our last breath. And God has already accomplished in his mercy, the rescue that we need. He's already brought us out of slavery to sin into a life with him. Paul, one of Jesus' earliest followers, described it like this in the letter called Colossians. He says, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so when Jesus God has brought us from darkness into light. We've been brought out of the grip of Satan and darkness into the hands of Jesus and the kingdom of light. Our enemy, Satan, like Pharaoh, he suffered a defeat, yet he still pursues us, just like Pharaoh did. But what we want you to know, what I want you to know, and what we know from this story is that Satan, Pharaoh, they have no power over us because God has won a victory in Jesus that we get to walk in. He has saved us at the cross and at the empty tomb and he will save us along the way and in that God gets glory. See, God gets glory in this passage and in our lives when his people are rescued. God's glory comes when his people walk in faith and when evil is destroyed at the Red Sea. That's what's happened for Israel. They have been rescued. They have walked in faith and trust of God and evil was destroyed. And in Jesus, the same thing happens for us. And I want you to see that it all begins with one step. So let me ask you this. What sea do you need split in your life? What do you need saving from? Is it anxiety, depression? Is it the lies that you've come to believe? Is it loneliness or an addiction to power or money or sex? What, what is it? What sea do you need God to split in your life? Whatever that is, I want you to see today that God saves. He is the God of the Red Sea. He is the God who splits seas. He's a God who makes a way when there is no way. He is the God ultimately of the cross and the empty tomb. Salvation is an act of God for us and it begins with our step towards him to receive that great gift. And maybe today, maybe today you'll take that step into salvation once again and for the very, or for the very first time, just like God's people did on the shores of the Red Sea. Because the moment we take that first step, it is a gateway into a new life with God, being saved from something into something. And that is a great gift that only God can give.